Welcome to another edition of the Second and Goal Fantasy Podcast. I'm Calvin, your host, here with nobody else today. It's going to be a solo show for you guys today. It's just me and you, the listener, uh, here today. And we'll be talking about the best and worst fantasy values in this episode. Chris was unable to uh, go on this episode this week. He was too busy. And I tried to schedule multiple different guests, but uh, nobody was available, unfortunately. So, we're going to do a solo show this week. Hopefully Chris is back next week. And if he is, I might ask you uh, guys, or I might ask him to give some of his fantasy values to you guys. And uh, I think I plan on doing that if he is available next week, but he is very busy with school and stuff. So that's not going to be a guarantee, but I'm here. It's a solo show. Uh, there might be a little bit of echo. I'm not exactly sure because I'm in a, like a different studio right now. There's a little bit of echo in here, it sounds like, but hopefully my mic is doing a good job of blocking that out. I'm really not sure until I edit. So like I said, we're going to be talking best and worst fantasy values today. And I've just got, I didn't like make positional limits on this. I didn't decide to have like a certain number of quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends that we're going to talk about. But I I didn't really feel like I should limit myself. I just put the guys that I thought we're going to be good values this year in fantasy football and guys that were not. So we're going to kind of be shifting back to redraft strategy on this show. Over the last month, we've been talking dynasty fantasy football, where you keep your team um, over multiple years, excuse me. But now we will be going back to redraft, which is the main focus of this show where you just draft a new team every year. The, um, the, Traditional fantasy format, the one that probably most of you use more, although more experienced fantasy players do tend to like Dynasty a lot as well. So uh, happy Mother's Day to everyone. This is releasing a day after Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day to you and all of your mothers. And um, yeah, let's get started. Again, this is a solo show today, but I think this should still be fun. It's just me and you, the listener. So we'll get started and I guess I'll start off with my best fantasy values and we'll start off at quarterback. I put a couple of guys here. I feel like these quarterback rankings that I'm looking at right now on fantasy pros, they are for the most part, pretty accurate. I don't have that many bones to pick with them, but I still picked out some guys that I feel like could be ranked a little bit higher or lower. And we'll start off with Dak Prescott of the Dallas Cowboys. He is quarterback five on fantasy pros which I don't really mind. I do mind sort of the tier gap where they have him a tier below Lamar Jackson, which does not make much sense to me, especially since Lamar Jackson was a border, really a borderline top 10 quarterback. He only really performed late in the year. And I don't mind Jackson. I just feel like as of right now, I haven't updated my rankings, but I feel like Dak Prescott, I would put ahead of him. Prescott was on a historic pace over the first four games of the season. The Cowboys were throwing the ball a ton, and we, mainly because their defense was so bad, they got into so many shootouts. But um, I, I do like Prescott a lot. I don't expect him to keep up that pace from last year where he was almost the QB1 and just throwing for massive amounts of yards. But the Cowboys really have not gotten many upgrades to their defense. They have plenty of guys on offense. C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper are two very, very good players. And a lot of people are expecting a C.D. Lamb breakout next year. So I feel like Dak Prescott um, should succeed there. He's got Zeke, who can he can lean on in the run game. And Zeke should also benefit from the return of Dak. Because, I mean, what this year showed is that it's not – it may have used to be Zeke's offense, but now it's Dak's. 100% and Dak determines the fate of the offense because after he left Zeke was not the same player with Andy Dalton and Ben DiNucci and all of those guys and Garrett Gilbert and that was not <laughs> that was not a fun time for Dallas fans but Zach Prescott at quarterback five is a spot that I'm very very comfortable taking him in he's probably because of that tier gap going to go around the sixth or seventh round 
I don't usually like to draft quarterbacks that early, so that's going to be a little difficult for me. But if he goes to the seventh round, um, <clears throat> I would 100% take that. So my next guy is Joe Burrow. And I actually expect Burrow's stock to sort of inflate uh, as the draft comes closer, as the your fantasy drafts come closer, just because now that he has Jamar Chase to go with Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins, a wide receiver, he's got a star running back at Joe Mixon as well. Uh, a lot of people are going to be expecting a second year breakout from Burrow. But as of right now, he's really ranked as sort of a borderline quarterback one guy, which really doesn't make that much sense to me. I would take him in a heartbeat over a guy like Matthew Stafford. Um, I mean, I guess I can understand guys like I take him over Jalen Hurts, probably maybe not like Tom Brady, Justin Herbert. That's where it gets close for me. But I feel like Joe Burrow's in the same tier as those guys because he has just so many weapons where he can break out. This Bengals uh, offense, they passed a lot last year. They passed the ball a lot, partly because Burrow was getting sacked a lot. They had to throw the ball. Um, but, I mean, although Joe Mixon got a lot of carries, they were still able to throw it a ton. And uh, that should be expected this year as well. So Joe Burrow is going to be a pretty solid value. And if you're waiting on quarterback, doing a late-round quarterback strategy, that's I would usually recommend getting rushing quarterbacks that have high upside. So if you pair a guy like Hertz with a high uh, rushing upside with a guy like Burrow, who has a high floor with his passing, then that can be a really good pairing that you can get for cheap. These guys are probably going to go in the back end quarterback one range in most fantasy drafts. So we'll move on to running back. I've got three guys here at this position. And the first guy I want to talk about is DeAndre Swift. This is the guy I definitely hyped up even before the addition of Jamal Williams, but he is being faded now with the addition of Jamal Williams to add to that passing game. And I can understand it, but here's the facts about the Lions situation. Marvin Jones is gone. Kenny Galladay is gone. TJ Hawkinson, yes, is going to soak up a lot of targets, but they didn't address the wide receiver position until the fourth round. I could see this situation being a lot like, for example, the Washington football team last year. Also, I mean, since the Lions have Jared Goff, who's not the best quarterback, he'll definitely want to rely on his running backs a lot because what happened with the football team was when you have guys like Alex Smith and Dwayne Haskins who are limited in their abilities, they threw it to the running back a lot because they really didn't have any other wide receiver to throw to other than McLaurin and then Logan Thomas. So there were a lot of pass attempts, and I believe Washington led the league in running uh, receptions for a running back. I could see Detroit being top 10, top five in that category. And we know Jamal Williams is a pass catching back. We know pass catching is what DeAndre Swift does best. So that's going to hurt him. But we saw Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick at times last year uh, when they were both healthy get sufficient passing work to be good in fantasy and DeAndre Swift is really really a good pass catcher Jamal Williams is not keeping him off the field there is a reason why this team has talked about using him as a three down back lining him up in the slot he's gonna catch passes and his RB 15 ranking for me that's really really solid I'm not sure if I would actually rank him that much higher but I mean I feel like that RB 15 ranking means he's slipping to the end of the second round maybe the third round in your drafts I will take him there a hundred times out of a hundred um the next guy is Antonio Gibson, who I just mentioned. Antonio Gibson, I believe, has the talent to be a workhorse back in the NFL. He's a really, really good pass catcher as well, and he's really, really good between the tackles, and he sort of proved that last year. We saw at the beginning of the year, Gibson's workload was definitely limited, but as the season went on, Ron Rivera started to trust him more, gave him the ball more, and I think we would have really seen a past the last few games of the season we probably would have seen workhorse Antonio Gibson even more we got like a couple games of that and then he got hurt which was really unfortunate so we didn't really get to see the full potential of Antonio Gibson but at RB 13 on fantasy pros he could slip further in some drafts I mean I would like him more than honestly a guy like Austin Eckler who uh, I mean I do like Eckler a little more now that they've the Chargers have improved their offensive line but I feel like Gibson's a better all-around back 
than Austin Eckler. And Gibson played at Memphis, where he both played running back and wide receiver. This guy's as good of a pass catcher as anybody. I would take him over like a guy like Cam Akers, who I'll talk about a little later in the I mean, I really like Cam Akers. I'll talk about him a little later in the uh, overrated section, the worst values, just because I feel like Cam Ak- the Cam Akers hype is a little bit out of control, especially compared to, I mean, especially compared to the guys who, some of the guys who are behind him. Um, so the last guy I have on here is Chris Carson at RB20, and this should be expected. Chris Carson has had four straight seasons of being a top 15 fantasy RB in points per game, and the Seahawks are committed to Going back to running the ball a little more, I know they drafted Dwayne Eskridge, but Pete Carroll clearly saw that the problem with letting Russ cook, I mean, the play calling, let's not pretend that the play calling was all that great, wasn't very creative at all, but Pete Carroll was not happy watching Russ get sacked and turn the ball over. So I would expect them to go back to Chris Carson next year. And um, yeah, I think this is going to be, it's going to be interesting to watch, but Chris Carson just continues to be undervalued in fantasy pretty much every single year. I will say that the uh, one concern with Chris Carson is definitely injury risk, but I mean, most running backs have that. I mean, I believe the average running back misses two or three games a season anyway. So I'm not really too worried about that unless he doesn't have a history of like those season ending injuries. That's what I would be concerned about. But uh, yeah, I think you should be fine. And you can always draft like Rashad Penny if you want to get him in case Chris Carson gets hurt. You'll just have to see who the backup ends up being in Seattle, whether it's him or Alex Collins or somebody else. But Chris Carson continues to outperform his draft position. So, I mean, why you can, like, if I told you you could get a back end uh, or a mid tier to solid RB2 at back end RB2 prices, you would do it always. Chris Carson is that guy. He's going to be available in the third round in most drafts, which is great. Um, so, let's move on to wide receivers. I've got three guys here. And these guys, I mean, I always like to go RBs early just because the RB drop off after a few tiers is just really, really bad. Like you're not going to see guys like Chris Carson at RB 20 other than, I mean, obviously you see Chris Carson there, but generally those good RBs are not still going to be there in like mid third round, late third round, fourth round. It gets really thin, really quick, but the contrary is true with wide receivers. You can get some elite guys at the top. That's for sure. But when you get down the board, I looked at like, here's an example. The fantasy pros consensus rank in half PPR on these three guys I'm talking about wide receiver 21, 29 and 36. These guys are guys you can get later and you can get like, uh, you can get really, really cheap prices on these guys who can be playable for you in fantasy. And the first guy is Kenny Galladay. And a lot of the people who fade Kenny Galladay now that he's going to the giants are I also, I believe <laughs> people who don't like Daniel Jones, but I like Daniel Jones. I like Daniel Jones more than most. This is partly because Chris has educated me as the giants fan. But I understand that I think Daniel Jones has quietly improved this season in ways that don't show up on the stat sheet. Like, for example, throwing the ball away more, not making stupid throws and just throwing it into traffic and getting intercepted. And unfortunately, I feel like, I mean, this is happening with like Swift and Gibson and Daniel Jones. All these guys I like are like getting hurt right as they hit their good spot. Daniel Jones was just starting to like, he was not playing great. He was playing, but he was playing much smarter. And then he got hurt, which was so bad and it was they they had then they had to start Colt McCoy and Daniel Jones came back and he wasn't the same player you could tell he was hurt which really really stunk because he was just starting to get good and I feel like with Kenny Galladay he can now and Kadarius Tony who they drafted in the first round he could be really really good 
Galladay has the potential to be an alpha wide receiver one. And obviously they're going to lean on Saquon Barkley. Obviously they're going to still throw to Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram, but I'm not really worried about targets for Kenny Galladay just because first of all, Daniel Jones likes to throw the ball deep. And second of all, Kenny Galladay likes to catch the ball deep, but um, I think he should be the alpha wide receiver one in that offense. Kadarius Tony, basically like all of his catches are, were on screens in college. So he will be a guy who catches those screens and Galladay will be the guy who stretches the field. Um, next guy is Cortland Sutton, who you've heard me talk about on the podcast last year. Um, he's just actually, no, actually, no, I should, I, you've definitely heard me talk about him, but I don't know why I said that because he actually got hurt. So he wasn't actually a value last year, but I mean, I guess you've heard me talk about him this year on the podcast is what I meant to say, but wide receiver 29 on fantasy pros, which is really, really good for me. I mean, think about it this way. When Cortland Sutton, before he went down with the ACL, this guy was wide receiver 15, 16, 18 in a lot of rankings. He dropped for really, I don't feel like any reason. I mean, he got hurt before the season. So his ACL was like, he's going to heal. Maybe you're saying you don't believe in Drew Locke, but I'm fine with Drew Locke as the quarterback for Cortland Sutton. And this happens a lot with guys like Cortland Sutton and Allen Robinson. You say, oh man, if only they went to a different quarterback, their fantasy value would be so good. It's not really true because when you have a guy like Mr. Trubisky and Drew Locke, who's not that good, they'll lean on their number one. That's why Allen Robinson consistently is top five in the league in targets. And that's why Cortland Sutton was able to become an alpha last year or two years ago. And now, I mean, he's still the alpha there. It's not like Noah Fant or Jerry Judy is going to take the wide receiver one role. And Drew Locke will need to lean on him to move the ball at all. There's going to be some errant throws. There's going to be some frustrations when you're watching the games, but it's actually going to round out to be better than it might have otherwise been with a quarterback who would spread it around to Jerry Judy and Noah Fant and Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams out of the backfield, their uh, second round draft pick. So, I mean, this is, I, I wouldn't fade Cortland Sutton because of the quarterback play. That's basically what I'm trying to say. Uh, go after him in the seventh round. That's where, oh man, I'm definitely sad about this. Cortland Sutton. And Tyler Boyd, we're going to be my two seventh round wide receivers. And Tyler Boyd looks like he may be dropping to the eighth or the ninth. I'm definitely sad about Tyler Boyd, but he's my next value. He's not going to be a guy that you can start. Eh, he actually might be a guy you can start every single week. I just don't really like his ceiling because he is going to have his slot targets. He will get those. Those tend to be pretty safe in an offense. And like I said, Joe Burrow throws the ball a lot. There are enough targets to sustain some of them. But Jamar Chase is coming in. The Bengals took him at the number five overall pick. And while he might not make a huge impact right away, he should before the season is out. Uh, Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, while I hate to say it, are better wide receivers than Tyler Boyd. But with his at his wide receiver 36 ADP, I will take that all day. I feel like Tyler Boyd has the potential to be a low-end wide receiver too for you just because he has a lot of slot targets. The Bengals will be, I mean, I won't say a pass-first team because they have Joe Mixon and they want to use Joe Mixon a lot but they still will be passing the ball a ton. That's, there's a reason they drafted Chase over Penny Sewell, and it's because the pass is going to be what's winning them games, not the run. And before to the Jamar Chase pick, Tyler Boyd was ranked as a mid-tier wide receiver three. Like wide receiver 30 was like the classic ranking. And he really did have the potential to be like a solid wide receiver two or even a borderline top 12 guy just because there were so many targets available in that offense. And that was what he was doing last year before Burrow went down. So, I mean, Burrow's going to take a step up with Jamar Chase, his former teammate at LSU, and uh, he's going to throw to Tyler Boyd. It's disappointing that Tyler Boyd won't have like a, I don't expect like a crazy, like solid wide receiver two, wide receiver one season, 
like I thought might happen before. But at wide receiver 36, I will have that all day. Guys that are ranked ahead of Tyler Boyd, that I will easily take Tyler Boyd over 100 times out of 100. Juju Smith-Schuster, Will Fuller, who's always hurt, and he has two as his quarterback, which, I mean, maybe two leans on him, but he's just always hurt. He's not a guy that can be a one without getting hurt. Uh, Jamar Chase, mm, that's actually a really tough one. I don't know if I would have who I don't know who I would like more between Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd. I might even choose Tyler Boyd because of his floor. It's really a floor versus ceiling pick. Debo Samuel, I'll take Tyler Boyd. Robbie Anderson, um, hmm, I would that's close. I'm not exactly sure, but I think he would definitely move up. Chase Claypool, I would take Tyler Boyd over Chase Claypool. Um, and Odell Beckham, I would take him over OBJ. Tyler Lockett, take him over Tyler Lockett. There's a lot of guys that I would take Tyler Boyd over. So you get the idea. Let's move on to tight end. Darren Waller is, I mean, he's not going to be a crazy value, but he's the tight end two at, at a tight end three position. And that's just because George Kittle, he, I mean, a lot of analysts don't like to like to shy away from injury prone designations because like, it's kind of fluky. I'm not going to shy away from it because it's clear. There's a problem with the San Francisco medical staff. I'm not going to say it softly. All of their skill players got hurt. And I'm not exaggerating. All of their skill players got hurt at one point in the season. Nick Bosa had a season-ending injury. Debo was hurt. Kittle was hurt. Mostert was hurt. Wilson was hurt. Um, Ayuk was hurt at one point, I believe. I think that might have been before the season. But still, all these guys were hurt. I can't trust Kittle to stay healthy. Kittle's a beast. Kittle will play through anything he can. But, I mean, we saw it. He wanted to play through that fractured cuboid, cuboid bone last year. 49ers aren't going to let him is the injuries are just too serious. And until they revamp this medical staff, I can't see myself uh, liking, I mean, I know it sounds, it's almost sounds silly, but it's just, it's really not. It's just the truth. We saw it happen last year and there is a problem with this team. And the re we have past evidence that changing of medical staffs can help injuries a lot. When Ron Rivera came into coach Washington, this team had been bottom five in injuries for years and years. Ron Rivera came in, fired all the medical staff, brought it all in his of his guys from Carolina, and suddenly this team isn't really getting hurt. Like, I know Antonio Gibson got hurt, but, like, we didn't – I mean, they didn't really have very many injuries in Washington. So, yeah, I think Darren Waller is going to be ahead of George Kittle just because George Kittle has that injury risk uh, involved with him. All right, so next guy. All right, I guess let's go to worst. We are done with the best values. Halfway through the podcast, let's get to worst. I hope you guys have uh, not gotten tired of me talking the whole time. But, I mean, I think this is uh, this is pretty fun for me to just – I mean, I like doing – I just like podcasting in general. I mean, it's not more fun than having someone be a guest on the show. But I like talking about fantasy. So, it's fun to do a solo show with you guys. And, I mean, it's I don't feel completely alone because, I mean, if you're listening to this, you're hearing me and you're listening. So, I feel like I – I mean, if you're not listening, then you won't hear this. But if you are listening, which if you're listening to this right now, then, I mean, it's not really alone because there's someone else listening. Okay. Well, that was kind of long, but we'll move on to the worst uh, values. And again, at quarterback, I feel like the rankings are pretty solid. I'm just going to say Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers. And these are two guys, we know that Wilson really struggled in the second half of the season, but people may look at that first half and really go after him when I mean, he actually might even be better. I'm not even going to say that he, he might even be better because the Seahawks are switching to a run first scheme. That'll really help him. Maybe he won't turn the ball over as much. He'll get some more space to throw to his receivers. It'll make his receivers a lot more inconsistent, 
and he'll make him more inconsistent, which is also a problem. Like that's going to be inconsistency that I can't really rely on, but name value might propel him up boards. He's QB six in the same tier as Dak Prescott, according to fantasy pros, which is not good. So don't do that. Don't, don't take him in like, do not take him over Dak. That's for sure. And um, yeah, he might just be a little bit overrated because of his name. People know who he is. Same with Aaron Rodgers. And I know I was wrong about Aaron Rodgers. I said the same thing last year that he uh, was overrated because of his name and he did really well. But this time he actually is because now that there's another reason to add to it. It's not just name value that people are adding. The 9.1% touchdown rate that he had. We have seen very, very few quarterbacks put up a 9% or 9.1% touchdown rate. Lamar Jackson had 9.2 last year. And guess what happened? He dropped from QB1 to a borderline top 10 guy. The touchdown rate is so fluky that even the best quarterbacks, like Aaron Rodgers has consistently hovered around five, I think it's five, five and a half percent touchdown rate, which is like, in case you don't know, it's the percentage of, I think, attempts that go for a touchdown. It's either, yeah, I think it is attempts, not completions. But Aaron Rodgers actually is an example of a guy who had a 9% touchdown rate once in his career. He usually hovers around like that five or six range, I believe, like I said, more like five. But the one time he had that 9%, he dropped off drastically the next year. And this is an Aaron Rodgers who is getting old. He was definitely motivated by um, the Packers drafting Jordan Love. There's obviously some rumors that he wants out. But, I mean, wherever he goes, I feel like he'll still be a little overvalued because people are going to be expecting the same production that they got last year or close when it's just not going to happen. 48 touchdowns can't happen. It just can't. And that's why guys like Robert Tunyon are also going to regress significantly because Robert Tunyon's, like, reception touchdown rate was absolutely, like, even higher than Aaron Rodgers's by a lot because Robert Tunyon was just constantly targeted in the red zone. I mean, I would avoid him. I'll even say like, he's probably going to be a bit overrated as well. So I'll add him to this list um, of overrated tight ends, but yeah, I think just name value and the touchdown rate, it's going to be uh, tough for Aaron Rodgers to repeat that production in the stats. Just, I mean, it's just true. The stats don't lie. I mean, unless we're talking about Daniel Jones, but I mean, I don't, I, I, I'm not, I won't even say, I guess, unless we're talking about Daniel Jones, Stats, stats and film have to go together. That's what this is proof of. Because we all know that, I mean, if you watch Aaron Rodgers on film, you might say, well, why can't he just throw for 48 touchdowns next year if he just stays just as good? It's just not how it works. Because we know in stats over basically the entire NFL history that touchdowns are fluky. And if someone does really, really good and throws a lot of touchdowns, they'll probably throw less the next year. Someone does really, really bad, throws really few touchdowns, they'll probably throw more next year. We know that, but like, I'm just, when you look at a basic box score for someone like Daniel Jones and you see, oh man, there's a lot of incompletions. Some of those incompletions were throwing the ball away. He also didn't have a star running back, Saquon Barkley. He also now gets Kenny Galladay. So there's reason to believe he gets a lot better next year. Um, after that, uh, so, I mean, there's a lot of debate between like analytics and stat and film. And if you asked me which one was more important, I really couldn't tell you because they're, they need to go together to work. And it's really interesting because we've had two guys on the show, Christopher Harris and JJ Zacharyson in the past, who are kind of opposites about this. I mean, Christopher Harris's philosophy is, I mean, he says it on his website, analytics are fine, but film is king. And he watches a ton of film and his process works. And JJ Zacharyson watches film, but when it comes down to it, he relies on his model more than his eyes and his analytics more than his eyes. And I'm, I'm not trying to say he doesn't rely on his eyes. He's also excellent at watching film, which I mean, he has shown, if you listen to his podcast, he has great analysis of players as well. But I mean, when it comes down to it, 
the model is his holy grail. And I feel like I'm, I feel like I come and it works for him too. Either way can work, which is why I believe that the best way is to combine the two. And I mean, I'm not saying they don't, I mean, obviously they're, they're both of those guys are not just completely focusing on one, but they have one that they uh, rely on more than the other, I would say. So let's move on to running backs. And I talked about this guy earlier. Cam Akers is a little bit overrated next year. I'm, I'm happy with the Cam Akers hype. I know, I think people are right that Cam Akers could really see a breakout season next year. He looked really, really good on the field. And Sean McVay looked like he wanted him to be the next Todd Gurley, just re- leaning on him on uh, the field, giving him the workhorse role. It's a very small sample size, what he did. He didn't really have that many games. But I'm in on the hype train. I like Cam Akers. But the hype compared to some of these other players, like I would take Antonio Gibson over him. I might take Joe Mixon over him. I might take even DeAndre Swift. I'd consider taking over Cam Akers because I don't really see why Cam Akers is significantly like Cam Akers is the RB 11 and fantasy pros consensus. Gibson is RB 13. Swift is RB 15. I don't really understand why Akers is better than these guys. If anything, Gibson and Swift are more talented than Akers. We've seen more from them. We've already seen I mean, DeAndre Swift also had a small sample size. So did Gibson, but Gibson looked really good aside from when he had turf toe and like couldn't run. And then DeAndre Swift looked really good, except when he got ill. But like when he was on the field and Adrian Peterson literally lobbied to bench himself, Adrian Peterson did this. He knows that he's getting old, but he knew that the young DeAndre Swift was really, really good. And We've seen some from Cam Akers, but I don't think we've seen significantly more from him than these other two guys. And Cam Akers, I don't really know if his situation isn't really better than these guys. So I don't know why he's clearly above these guys for a lot of people. Last running back, Chase Edmonds. You guys know, I've talked about this before this offseason. Chase Edmonds is not built like a RB1. And you say, oh, well, the coaching staff said that Chase Edmonds was going to be the starter. Yeah, they said that. That doesn't mean they believe in him because you know what came out the report that the, if the Falcons hadn't gotten Zayvon Collins, the linebacker to slip to them at, I believe 18, they would have taken Najee Harris. Najee Harris was the pick. They were prepared to take a first round running back to replace Chase Edmonds. And I can see why, because Chase Edmonds is an excellent pass catcher. However, when he goes into that workhorse role and he showed it too, when in those games, when David Johnson was hurt and they didn't have Kenyon Drake, he was very inefficient. He wasn't able to get a lot of yards per carry just because he's not very in-between-the-tackles guy. And his RB26 ranking is ahead of guys like Raheem Mostert and James Robinson and Ronald Jones and David Johnson. I mean, some of that I can get because he is the only guy there, but it's just like Damian Harris, Mike Davis. Like Mike Davis, is he showed he could be a pass catcher. He's the If you want a guy who's the only guy in his backfield who has actually shown that he can perform in that situation, go get Mike Davis, who just did it for a whole season when Christian McCaffrey was out. Mike Davis is six spots behind Chase Edmonds in these consensus rankings when I feel like Mike Davis is the better running back in general, the better all-around running back. Chase Edmonds probably is the better pass catcher, but Davis is really good at that, and Davis is definitely better in between the tackles. I would say Mike Davis is the better all-around running back than Chase Edmonds. Wide receivers, these guys, oh my gosh, I just hate looking at them. DK Metcalf is talented, but overrated in fantasy. I've talked about how, like, I mean, the switch to a run-first offense might not hurt Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson has put up fantasy numbers in a run-first offense before. But 
we already saw so much inconsistency from DK Metcalf last year that I'm not ranking him as the wide receiver six ahead of Calvin Ridley and Justin Jefferson, maybe even Keenan Allen and Michael Thomas. He was too inconsistent in the second half of the year. Now they're going to run the ball more. And he's just going to be even more like he's going to rely, have to rely on the deep ball. And it's not like Tyreek Hill where he's getting enough targets to make up for it. It's just the targets share, the targets total might be there, but he might just get 10 in one game and two or three in the next. It's not going to be a consistent thing. And this is the same, but worse for Tyler Lockett. And you may see Tyler Lockett. He finished as wide receiver nine last year. I don't, I think that might be in half PPR, but I'm not positive. Um, He's ranked as the wide receiver 25 on fantasy pros. You might think, oh boy, that's got to be low enough. Where, where, uh, like you would go take Ty Lockett? No, you should not. He had, I believe, three top 24 weeks all season. Three top 24 weeks all season. And he finishes the wide receiver nine. His 45 point game and like two other huge games propelled him to this inflated finish. And now he's going to get even more inconsistent. Like I said, guys behind him, I would take T. Higgins at wide receiver 27, who's a value in his own right. I mean, that wide receiver 27 is really, really low for T. Higgins. I would take him over OBJ and like this has OBJ, Tyler Lockett, and Cooper Cup and Ayuk. I mean, Ayuk, I can understand a little more, but a tier above T. Higgins. Cortland Sutton, I would take above uh, Tyler Lockett. Uh, Tyler Boyd, I think I said I would take him above Tyler Lockett. Will Fuller, probably. Um, Chase Claypool, I don't know, maybe. DJ Chark, maybe. Even Juju, who proved he could be okay in like a possession receiver role. I don't really like Juju that much, but I mean, I would even consider Juju over Tyler Lockett. I mean, I might even, I probably even would even do that. Um, the last wide receiver I'm going to talk about, Marquise Hollywood Brown. And I don't know if this is just because uh, the consensus rankings aren't updated, but I don't understand how Marquise Brown can be the wide receiver 44 when Rashad Bateman and Tylen Wallace just came to this offense. Marquise Brown was already inconsistent enough. We know he had a good second half of the season, but the first half needs to be taken into account too. And the Ravens drafted two wide receivers, Tylen Wallace, who's a red zone threat, taking those touchdowns. Marquise Brown, when he was good, like he had to score a touchdown to be good because the target share was just not consistently there. And then Rashad Bateman, their first round wide receiver, who was absolutely fantastic in college. And he's a great guy, player to get go up and get it in 50-50 balls, not the most physical, but he's also a great route runner and absolutely insane after the catch. So I could – when and then while Lamar Jackson – now he has Mark Andrews. I mean, he had him before, obviously, but he has Mark Andrews to throw to as well, who's just a consistent threat at tight end. He's really the only guy who can be consistently good in this offense. And I also think Bateman's overrated, but just Lamar does not throw enough to be good. I could see – I mean, I, I understand. I think the Ravens had said that their offense might look a little different this year, but – it's just, I don't really see like enough, even if the throwing increases a little bit from Lamar Jackson, there's just new weapons over there. Sammy Watkins is there as well. It's just not enough for me. And it also is about the guys like they have guys like LaVisca Chanel, Marvin Jones, even Antonio Brown and Jalen Waddle, like significantly behind Marquise Brown, which I would take all four of those guys over him. Um, last guys, tight ends. Um, I already talked about Robert Tunyon, talked about George Kittle. I just I think he, he's too likely to get hurt because of that medical staff. But we'll talk about Irv Smith Jr. to wrap up the show. And every year in fantasy, it seems like there's that one tight end that gets reached on to be like a consistent tight end option, which makes sense. And they always fail. Or most I won't say always, but a lot of the time they fail. And it makes sense because the tight end landscape is just so thin year after year. You have to find guys that might break out. Irv Smith isn't one of them, though. I mean, 
the first of all, the Vikings already drafted two wide receivers. Um, I'm tr- let me go see their name. I think it was Amir Smith Marset and Kenne Nwongwu who they drafted. Uh, if I am not mistaken, but I mean, the Vikings are run first offense with Dalvin cook and with Dalvin cook and Kirk cousins, they've really only shown that they can support two wide receivers or two receivers that are good. And that's Justin Jefferson and, um, Adam Thielen. Irv Smith did have a stretch where he was pretty good. And yes, Kyle Rudolph is gone, but uh, yeah, I mean, I just, the guys behind him, like Evan Ingram, who's more consistent Gronk, who's more consistent, uh, I mean, it's even, I won't even say I, – I don't even feel like Irv Smith's that bad of a value, to be honest. It's just I don't really see him succeeding. That's what I'm trying to say. It's not even that bad just because when you get to that range, the tight end landscape is so barren. But, I mean – and so, I mean, I, I can understand it. I won't – I don't mind. But it's – I just think he's not really going to succeed. I would – I would be okay if you take a chance out of his back at tight end one. I think the lesson of this is just to get the uh, – get your tight ends early. Make sure to wrap up a Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Darren Waller, Mark Andrews, someone like that. Don't reach too hard, but that would be uh, the dream to get one of those guys at a fair price. All right. So that's it for the show. I had a lot of fun doing this, guys. I hope you had fun listening. Uh, Again, this was a solo show. I'm sure you obviously gathered that by now. And um, yeah, I had a lot of fun talking to you guys. And yeah, I'm going to actually be doing a guest podcast. I'm not exactly sure when it's dropping, so you should probably subscribe. But Chris and I, uh, Chris was, since Chris already uh, agreed to this, we had to, he wasn't available to do both the guest show and the podcast, but we planned that a while ago. Um, And uh, so go subscribe to the Young Fantasy Mind Football Podcast, which is where we're appearing. We'll be in the Draft Losers episode. I think it probably drops on like Tuesday. I don't know, but just go subscribe and you can find it. Um, last thing before we go, I actually, I said, Kenny Nwongwu, he is actually running back, not a wide receiver, but Amir Smith-Marset was their round five pick at wide receiver. And yeah, to be honest, Eric Smith's like not even that bad of a value. It's just that, like I said, tight ends get so barren over there and I just don't predict success for him. Um, and yeah, all right, that's it. Thank you for listening, everyone. Had a lot of fun. This is, I mean, I just love, I love doing podcasting so much. It's just one of my favorite things to talk about fantasy football. And I'm so glad that we started this podcast where you guys listen to, and it's been helpful during the pandemic for me for sure. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.